Welcome to the latest episode of Blue Topsy. I'm Daniel Blackman. I'm Eric Cohen. And uh, today we have a very special guest uh, that'll come on. Eric will tell you about him a little bit in, in a minute, really. And uh, I just wanted to start off, though, uh, as the board member of the Hip Hop Professionals Foundation here in Atlanta. Uh, Mental Health Awareness Day was on the 10th of this month. And I want to make sure that before we get into our uh, conversation, we talk about mental health awareness. Uh, You know, I know there's a huge election coming up, but I'd, I'd like to take this point of privilege to give some numbers and to make sure that if you are out there and uh, you are dealing with suicidal depression here at Blue Topsy. We have fun on the radio. We always strive to have a good time and talk about political issues, but we also care about you. We care about our listeners. We care about your families. We care about your what your your well being and your mental health. Um, and just by the numbers, approximately one in five adults in the United States, or forty three point eight million people, experience mental health illness every year. One in 25 adults in the United States, 9.8 million, experiences serious mental health illness in a given year that substantially interferes with or limits their ability to do things in their normal day-to-day routine. Uh, This is for parents that may have children, folks that are doing different things. Suicide amongst our young people, especially in minority communities, has has doubled. And uh, I really just want to make sure that we're thinking about people in our families, in our lives, at our workplaces. Uh, We all know that uh, things like comprehensive gun reform and legislation should be accompanied uh, by mental health illness and and understanding the seriousness and the challenges that are out there. So, you know, I didn't mean to divert too much, Eric, but mental health illness, I know I dealt with anxiety at one point in my life and um, I had a strong family support network. And I've got friends that have dealt with bipolarism, that have Mm -hmm. dealt with uh, schizophrenia and... uh, I've actually had a couple of friends that have committed suicide. So for me, uh, this is a very serious topic, and uh, I want to make sure that we know about it. If you need help, please feel free. If you are a subscriber, if you are listening in, reach out to us on social media, and we'll do whatever we can to point you in the right direction. That being said, Eric, yes, we have a fun, interesting guest today. Why don't you go ahead and open this up? Yeah, so we had a we have a great guest to share with everybody today. The governor of Montana, Steve Bullock, was here. And uh, the reason he's here is there's a new documentary called Dark Money, and it explores basically it's more than six years long. It, it almost it's about seven years worth of from when Citizens United was uh, decided by the Supreme Court. That's right. All the way to where things are now. Now, where Bullet comes into play is he was the Attorney General of Montana, and he is now not only the governor. He's he was reelected in 2016. He is a center piece of the actual documentary. Um, just to, before we go any further about him, uh, Kimberly Reed is the director and producer, and uh, we're going to have a follow-up interview with her, uh, a companion interview, coming up very shortly. And this is available on PBS. You can go to pbs.com, and that is available through the end of the month. It's part of their POV uh, series of films. And to give you an idea, POV on PBS... They have like 1,500 submissions a year for wow. documentaries, and they only they narrow it down to just like a handful. So that's how good this thing is. It is won at Sundance, and they're doing an Oscar campaign. And we had, we had a chance to view it. We did. And that was fun, man. So Yeah, it, not only was it fun, what's interesting about the documentary when you watch it is you think, oh, uh, dark money, and that's a liberal type of thing. 
What's fantastic about it is the centerpiece, you see pretty much Republicans in Montana who are pushing back against us. And it basically walks through how dirty the process is and how it's corrupted Montana. With Montana, what you also learn is they have really the strictest campaign finance laws when it comes to, you know, everything related to Citizens United. So that's where Governor Bullock comes into play. Mm -hmm. So after the Citizens United decision was made, there was a further case. So Montana said, you know what? We still are going to ban corporate money. It, it, does, it is against our state constitution. The state Supreme Court found that to be unconstitutional. He's a fighter, man. He is. And in the end, uh, he had to go up to the Supreme Court. They went and, you know, they said, hey, this, this is where it looks like. We, we say in the state that it's not constitutional, but that was struck down by the Supreme Court. So he did not go out without swinging. And uh, Bullock is really impressive. We, we had a great conversation. Um, just to give you a little background on him, uh, he started as the chief deputy attorney general of Montana in 1997. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did run uh, in a Democratic primary for the AG in 2000. So he went in a private practice from 2001 to 2004 in D.C. He returned in 2004 to Montana to work in private practice. From 2009 to 2013, he was the attorney general of Montana. Since 2013, he has been the governor of Montana. And... Um, 2018, I believe it was just in July, he's become the chair of the National Governors Association. And what that means is uh, all the governors, no matter what party, there is an association and they make decisions and they band together. And he is the chair right now for the next year. Well, you know, the good thing, and just as a point of reference, uh, Governor Bullock is the gentleman that defeated Representative Greg Giaforte. And he's the guy that roughed up the journalists. That's right. (laughs) Yep. So I feel like, you know, it was great to you know, uh, see someone of integrity uh, go up against and defeat someone like Greg Giaforte who physically assaulted a journalist and and then lied about it and did so many other things. But I'm going to go ahead and just, I'm going to throw a curveball, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I'm going to be honest, I I, I was listening to uh, conversations the other day on social media and on national media, Mm -hmm. um, independent as well as mainstream. And there was a lot of talk about presidential elections. Uh, They looked at uh, uh, the age that uh, if Joe Biden, which is leading right now, he'd be 78. Uh, Bernie Sanders would be similar in age. I think mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren would be 70. Uh, if this guy runs in 20, he's going to be 53 years old. That's right. And um, I, I have to say, man, I am impressed. I know we're going to have a crowded field, yep. but I think that this guy, so we can kind of switch back onto the Citizens United piece before we get into the interview, but I think this guy has something going for him. He's got something going, and, and let's go through a quick example that we learned. Let's do it. All right. So, Republican state, you're talking about um, almost two-thirds of the state and house of Montana. It's Republican control. You have a Democratic governor. He got into office and said, we, we need to have the Medicaid expansion. Just like in Georgia, the same type of things were happening. Rural health facilities were shutting down. So, Bullock decided he had a plan. He went, all right, I'm going to go on a tour throughout the state. And I realize people go, Montana is a small state, but there still are more than a million people and it covers geographically a large area. So Bullock went around the state. He met with constituents and in all the districts, he brought along the representatives from the Montana legislature. So what ends up happening? The citizens go, hey, such and such a medical place is closed. This place 
you know, save my life X amount of times. The community needs it. And so in the end, the constituents pressured the members of the state house and Senate of Montana to go along and to have a bill to pass the Medicaid expansion. And then once that happened, he signed it into law. So you and I both know how many places in the country do you have an example of opposing parties, everybody working together and getting something done. So as mad I don't know if it exists. Well, apparently Bullock has showed us it, it must. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, outside of the model he's created, and I hope that our good Democrats listening with the state party in Georgia and with the Democratic National Committee are listening, you know, I don't think we should reinvent the wheel. I think right. if we see a model that works... Um, we should be trend spotters and not try to be trendsetters. Uh, if it's working in Montana, Montana is obviously a different state than Georgia or California or New York. But I'm sure we can find ways to look at the blueprint and the model that uh, Governor Bullock has put in place and maybe replicate it in a way where it can fit the needs of states like Georgia, where I believe, uh, according to our good friend Sarah Miko, we have 79 rural counties that don't have an OBGYN. And that is not counties that are just Democrat. They're not counties that are just Republican. They're rural areas where folks don't have um, access to health care. And if Governor Bullock could do that kind of great work in Montana, then we should be able to find a way to try and make it work in red states like Georgia, which hopefully in November will change. That's true. You know, with Bullock, too, and I know I know some of our listeners, they'll hear, well, he's a red state Democrat. What does that mean? He's progressive. This is a pro-choice with a 100% rating from NARAL. He's endorsed by Planned Parenthood. He is major. We need a program. bell in the studio to ring. Man. I mean, those are good things to <laughs> hear right. about, man. Opposes right to work. I mean, the dude has a credential. So we were impressed. Uh, we had a great conversation. But we want to segue back over to Citizens United. Just as like a little kind of guide to what that was about. Because, you know, over time, people forget. So... Back in 2002, mm-hmm. I'm sure you remember, Daniel, that there was the McCain-Feingold Act. That's right. And that was called BCRA, which is the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act. And what it did was it prevented corporations or labor unions from using their general, tre- general treasuries to fund elections on radio, TV, satellite. Uh, that would be for candidates for federal office within 60 days before the election or 30 days before primary. So... There is a conservative group that made this this film about Hillary Clinton, and that's how this all started. So in 2008, the nonprofit, the conservative nonprofit, Citizens United, sought an injunction against the FEC in district court in Washington, D.C. They wanted to prevent BCRA to being applied to their film, okay? They wanted to broadcast and advertise it before the primary, and basically that film was just completely bashing Hillary Clinton. That, that was, it was a political hit piece, but it became the centerpiece. So what we had was, there are several other things. You had Mitch McConnell, good old Mitch McConnell, he seems to be always on the right side of history, huh? That's right. <laughs> uh, there is McConnell versus the FEC, which is an earlier challenge to the regulation. Good old Mitch. Good old Mitch. So let's fast forward and compress it. The Citizens United decision. So in 2010, on January 24th, 1st rather, uh, American politics was changed quite a bit. It was a 5-4 decision. It was written by now retired Justice Anthony Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And it held that the First Amendment protects the right to free speech, even if the speaker is a corporation, and it removed the limits on corporate fundraising of political broadcast. And just so you know, as a point, Senator Elizabeth Warren 
um, and her statements go right in alignment with yours when this happened was thanks to the Supreme Court, our system of elections is riddled with corruption. Money floods our political system, money that's let a handful of billionaires shape who gets into Congress and may decide who sits in the White House. And she also went on to say Washington is now just working for a handful of wealthy individuals and powerful corporations that manipulate the system to benefit themselves. Whether you agree with Elizabeth Warren or not, whether you're one of our Republican or independent friends out there, uh, we should all agree that there's way too much money and influence and lobby money, especially in politics. And none of us are getting a fair shake if our uh, democracy is being flooded with hundreds of millions of dollars. That's right. And, and, and the whole thing with Citizens United is it, it then allowed a corporation to act as if it was a person mm-hmm. and have the same rights as a person when it comes to money. What's interesting is since the decision, opposition to it has grown even stronger and there's almost complete parity whether you're a Republican, an Independent, or a Democrat in opposition. Most people want things like a constitutional amendment, but those things are tricky to to get done. When we have Kimberly Reed, the director of Dark Money on and producer, we're going to go down that road. She has a great take as to the law and as to what can be done. A follow-up. There was a decision that was just recently made. Uh, it was another case that we'll go into detail when we have her on. And what it said was, if you gave $200 or more to, um, or $250, this is an independent expenditure um, to like these these dark money groups that you had to, you know, say who you were. So they would have to disclose these these campaigns. These PACs that were exempt, there's all this crazy stuff. So everybody heard this news like, oh, it looks like, Anybody who now donates money or a corporation donates money to these PACs, oh, we'll have to find out who they are. We find out that this is a very nuanced decision and the way that they're going to give money, they're just going to change it around and they're still going to hide their name. So at the end of the day, we still have all this dirty money out there and we don't know where it's coming from. And the sad part is, you know, you know, when you look at Brett Kavanaugh, a lot of attention was put on the actual hearing with Dr. Ford, which we talked about extensively, but also about Brett Kavanaugh's path. But what we didn't see in media was the tremendous amount of dark money that was behind uh, Kavanaugh Mm -hmm. that was pushing him. Uh, A lot of these groups that came off as conservative groups that were pushing their agendas and putting tens of millions of dollars into the confirmation Mm -hmm. of the Supreme Court justice. If our our legislature, um, if the three branches of government can be influenced, bought and sold by big money, by dark money, then we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I like what Shirley Chisholm said uh, several, several decades ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, She said that when she ran for president, she said that she was unbought and unbossed. And we need to get back to common sense governing where folks can stay on their own two feet and not be influenced by the monies that are fueling their campaigns. Right. And we do have to make this note, too. You know, we always talk about corporate money, but the truth is we have lots of politicians out there that they sit here and they, they ask for money all day long and they're being influenced too. I mean, they're getting influenced whether it's individuals or corporations. Yeah, or special interest groups. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll say it like this. When I ran for the Public Service Commission, I turned down money from folks that had influence in the utility industry, but mm-hmm. I also turned down some money that came from some, you know, little, little, in my opinion, a little further extreme environmental groups because I feel that the same way how you can be, be beholden 
to a corporation, you can be beholden to a special interest group. I think we should always be willing to do things fairly and just. And then when we get in office, especially with all the congressional seats that are up for office this year, we need to make some informed decisions and support uh, legislation that's being proposed. Hopefully we'll be able to look at like when Dick Durbin proposed the Fair Elections Act now or the Fair Elections Now Act. Uh, I know Senator Whitehouse um, had the uh, the Disclose Act and Senator Bob Menendez had the Shareholder Protection Act. You know, there are certain pieces of legislation that Democrats have proposed, mm -hmm. but because we're in a Republican-controlled House and Senate, uh, we're not seeing the light of day for them. Um, I had a great conversation with um, with uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren about, uh, you know, consumer protections. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many battles we have to fight what are some of the solutions? What are some of the ideas that you're hearing? I certainly have some that I'd like to share, but what are some of the things that we can focus on going forward? So it seems like, take Citizens United, and people say, oh, well, there, there's a con you can make a constitutional amendment. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, it's extraordinarily complicated. You have this whole process, you basically have to get two-thirds of the House and Senate. You have to get, I believe it's two-thirds of the legislatures of the state um, there's all these other mechanisms. So it's difficult. So what we have to do is figure out all the different ways that you can go about essentially pressuring politicians. I think the best way is, it seems like, and you and I both know this, the construct of the Supreme Court now, this is going to be a conservative bench for a long time. A very long time. And they're not going to sit there and they're not going to say, hey, corporate money, no, no, no. We know how it's going to be. They, they Corporate interests are, seem to be their number one priority. So I guess the, the way is ground level, grassroots. Just like in Georgia, how we're going, hey, we have to start at the ground level, whether it's the school board, state house, state senate, Democrats need to take back these positions to make change. We need to replicate the same thing when it comes to campaign finance. So we get those people in place and you have people that might be able to make certain laws in the books for states that don't violate what Citizens United says mm -hmm. to then pressure more changes up the food chain in the country. That makes sense. And I, I want to give our listeners some takeaways and things we can do. I love the approach that you just mentioned from a grassroots level. We need to have a groundswell. A mm -hmm. blue wave shouldn't just be limited to an election. We should mm -hmm. have a blue wave of uh, organizations, nonprofits, uh, activists, advocates, um, all in the same place. And I want to give folks five things that I've kind of come up with. The first one is to try and reclaim our constitution to empower the people um, to adopt common sense rules. I think when we look at it from a bipartisan opportunity, there are a lot of good conservatives that are uh, fiscally conservative and socially progressive. True. And if we can find common sense rules to protect our democratic government um, from, but from being infiltrated and hijacked, in my opinion, mm -hmm. by dark money, it would do a lot. Uh, the, the Supreme Court's uh, money and politics juris, uh, jurisprudence, which you just talked about, mm -hmm. the Citizens United piece, is not only flawed, but it fails to reflect our Constitution's core value. For all my constitutionalists out there, <laughs> all my uh, right-wing conservatives that believe in the Constitution, let's stick with the Constitution's core values of equal voice and democratic accountability. I think accountability is the key word. Number two, we've got to support the participation of small donors and empower every voice through public financing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's no secret that I was Bernie Sanders' political director. I remember the $5 
contributions, all the contributions under $100. I remember working on President Obama's campaign, and I remember people raising $500 in their community or $1,000 in their living room or a a person on a, you know, making minimum wage giving $25 out of their check, a fourth of their check uh, to just support the campaign. So number two is we got to support the participation of small donors and empower every single voice no matter how much they give or what they give. You know that like in England, it's like five weeks. Mm -hmm. It's publicly financed. There aren't TV ads. They basically go around on bus tours. You know, there's some billboards. That's it. That's right. So there's a minimal, minimal amount of money that's being spent. It's not corrupted and you make your choice at the end of the day. I love it, man. Number three... Um, to your point about what they're doing in other places, we've got to adopt effective disclosure requirements for all political spending mm-hmm. because voters deserve this information and knowledge and it's necessary for accountability. I like the example that our, our new friend, uh, Governor Bullock, gave mm-hmm. where he said we should treat it like politics. If you're yeah. going to get it, you should disclose it like That's a right. NASCAR driver and wear it proudly yep. on your suit. Yep. Could you imagine politicians yeah. walking around with suit jackets and they had to like literally wear the, 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 the brand of everyone disclosing money? It would literally change the paradigm because we'd be able to see how many of them. It's like a Boy Scout with all the badges he's done. Imagine if, if people had to walk around wearing the badges of the organizations and individuals that contributed to their campaigns. Well, the majority of them would have multiple coats on because they'd have to have so many layers because they're bought and paid by so many of them. Which is crazy. We got to figure it out, man. Number four. Got two more. Number right. four, we must prevent the evasion of contribution limits and disclosure requirements by strengthening anti-coordination rules to enforce actual independence for any outside spending. In layman's term, that just means that anti-coordination rules are necessary to enforce the requirements that uh, unlimited spending be truly independent of the candidate. So that is critical because, you know, when you look at a lot of these attack ads, I'll just use the state of Georgia right now, and you look at Stacey Abrams and you look at Brian Kemp, we're seeing all kind of ads come from inside the state, outside the state. And the reality is not just uh, fact checking should not just be important, but we need to get back to a political system that's independent of the candidate that can, you know, make decisions and do things that not only have accountability, but that are very clearly coming to them. And without effective rules, regulating coordination, you know, it's, it's, it's just easy for sophisticated political players to circumvent contribution lim- limits and, you know, just doing things that we will never see through our blind eye. That is a theme, a, an extensive theme of the Dark Money documentary. So when you guys watch it, and it is terrific. That's right. You'll see that. And I think lastly on that point, one thing that I wrote down was that the FEC should strengthen and enforce its anti-coordination rules to play a more mm-hmm. effective role in preventing the circumvention of the remaining contribution limits and ensuring that campaign finance disclosure is robust enough to ensure that citizens have sufficient information to evaluate political messages. We can't just keep on throwing things up there or saying things that are untruths. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care if it's a Democrat or Republican, an Independent or a Libertarian. Mm-hmm. What we say, we should be able to hold account for. Which leads me into number five, and we'll get ready to get into the interview, which is we must continue to take action to demand solutions to the problem of big money's domination of the Democratic government or of a Democratic government. And the only way we do that, in my opinion, Eric, is public support needs to be increased to solve the problem of money in politics um, and how large and growing it is across party lines. 92% of most people say that it's important that our elected leaders 
reduce the influence of money in political election. 92%. Mm-hmm. And what that means, in, in my opinion, and this is a national bipartisan yes. poll, is that folks want to know where the influence is coming right. from. People want to know that if there's money coming from out of state, and I think, you know, with all due respect to John Ossoff, a lot of people were concerned with where the money's sure. coming from. And, you know, I think, you know, there's not a lot that I agreed with on the argument against John um, because I'm definitely not a fan of Karen Handles, <laughs> but a lot of people were concerned sure. about how much money was coming into Georgia that was not from Georgia. Uh, 61% of the voters that were polled also, uh, which was up from you know 51% just a decade ago, say that we need to make major changes to the way campaigns are financed in the U.S. So the fundamental difference there is reducing the limit of the influence of money, but also making major change, changes to the way campaigns are financed. So we really need uh, campaign finance reform. And then lastly, the public supports limits on not just contributions, but also political spending for both candidates and outside groups. And, and I'm going I'm to share this with, with everybody listening. There are a lot of good people that can't pay a qualifying fee. Right. A lot of good people that can't mm-hmm. buy a radio spot or a TV right. ad. They're retired teachers. They're uh, war veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. They're regular people like you and I, and they want to go out and run for office, but they don't have deep pockets, right. right? They're not like David Perdue coming from you know this multi-million, multinational corporation. And in my opinion, if we don't begin to change that, it's going to discourage good people sure. from running for office, good people that are young men and women. I just realized I was in a conversation with Killer Mike the other day, Michael Render, who has done a phenomenal job in some of the voting outreach he's done to mm-hmm. the young people. But Michael Render said that, you know, when, when you look around, he said that this year's voting are the kids that are voting for the first time because they were born in the year 2000. Yep. So a lot of the voters this year are, are pre-9-11. That's right. This the 9-11 generation that is coming up now. This is their first election. And we don't want to discourage them from voting being involved in the political process, being engaged, right. and here's the last point, running for office. That's right. Um, one thing I want to quickly say is that when you talk about the elections and about all this influence, when money's coming in, like you cited Asaf, part of the problem is it's our team versus your team, and everything's become nationalized. So John Ossoff gets all this money from out of state because it's people like, well, I want to support that person. And so what we've got to figure out amongst all this is, how do we make our elections about local issues again? And as we're segueing into our interview with Montana Governor Bullock, he's been able to do that. And Daniel and I both say this, we want to thank the governor. He had an incredibly tight schedule and the governor and his team made certain that they were going to sit and, and speak with us. And when they come back to the state, for whatever reason, we're going to get them in studio and have an in-depth interview. And hopefully we can get them to not only uh, be in studio, but to talk to the people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it, it, it would only make sense if I could, you know, try to close out um, this segment so that we can go into the new one with a quote by James Garfield, who was a Republican, a quote that I love that I've used on more times than probably needed. But James Garfield, who was who was a president of the United States, said in 1877 that now more than ever before, the people are responsible for the character of their Congress. If that body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, it is because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. If it be intelligent, brave, and pure, it is because the people demand these high qualities to represent them in the national legislature. 
If the next centennial does not find us a great nation, it will be because those who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation do not aid in the controlling or do not aid in controlling the political forces. Ladies and gentlemen, wake up, stand up, continue to support Blue Topsy. Enjoy the interview. Eric, I thank you for all you're doing. I think we're, 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 this is our first national guest, man. We're excited. So let's do it. And by the way, folks, it was right by the Chattahoochee River. So we did it outside the interview. There you go. Enjoy. Thanks. First and foremost, we want to thank Governor Steve Bullock for coming out from Montana, uh, being here. As we know, Stacey Abrams is in a great campaign, but you're out here for dark money, for a documentary, uh, educating folks and helping candidates around the, the country to do some great work. So first of all, welcome. We want to thank you and uh, say hello to the people. It's great to be with you, Daniel. It's great to be with uh, everybody listening today. Well, thank sure. you. So just for the sake of time you're out here and we have a tremendously heated and contested gubernatorial campaign with stacy abrams at the top of the ticket you won in a state where Don donald trump won by 20 points and you were still as a democrat able to win by four points can you talk to us really briefly about what that looks like for governors that may not support Trump's agenda, but that are doing the work to appeal to folks outside of the mainstream? No, you bet. And that's, I was the only Democrat in the country to get statewide elected when Donald Trump won. And as you noted that uh, Trump won Montana by 20, I won by four. So about a quarter of my voters also voted for Donald Trump. That's right. And I think it's about time that those of us that are Democrats, that are worried about issues urban and rural, Stop saying, what's wrong with those voters? And saying, you know what? It's incumbent upon us to make sure that they know that we're going to fight for their interests. Like, folks need to be able to believe that they can climb that economic ladder. You spoke during our meeting earlier about reaching out and speaking to folks that didn't may not have shared your values yeah. and going into areas that weren't as friendly. And for, for us that live in rural areas around the country, specifically here in Georgia, can you tell us the importance of making sure that we don't stay in our comfort zone yeah. and we're engaging as many people as possible outside of our basic uh, spheres of influence? No, you bet. And both running for office and in governing, like in a state like Montana, I don't just try to find the blue areas and drag them to the polls. I want to go out and engage folks, That's sometimes right. in places where there's not even you know identified Democrats in sight. Because I think what we got to remember is that wherever you live, urban or rural, if you live in a Republican district or what's deep viewed as a deep blue, I mean, most folks actually want and value the same thing. You want a safe community. You want a roof over your head. You want a job that can pay enough to keep your family going. That's you right. want good public schools, clean air and clean water, and the belief that you'll do better for your kids and grandkids than even you had it. Those are the values that the Democratic Party's traditionally fought for. And those are the values that we got to be at going out and talking to folks all across our states about it because when you really talk about who's going to help you climb that economic ladder That's who's right. going to make your community that much safer it's typically going to be the democrats well let's do this uh we've got a big election with stacy coming in we want to close out on that but before we do so eric why don't, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the documentary dark money let's figure out how we can support this documentary not just to come out and watch it but when you think of Citizens United and when you think of all the types of bills and the amount of money that are in our campaigns it's drowning the voices and the democracy that we have and that we have tried to enjoy for a long time so what are we thinking okay so the documentary is called dark money can you explain to us quickly what it's about yeah I mean what one of the most I think difficult or broken parts of our system now is outside money and undisclosed spending and its impact on our democracy. 
all across our states and country now, groups that don't even identify where the money's coming from is spending to influence our elections. More often than not, it's even more than the candidates. So what dark money's all about, and it's a post-Citizens United world, is how do you disclose who's writing those checks? If elected officials are gonna end up like NASCAR, hmm. essentially with, you know, bought and paid for by yeah. any number, we. We as voters ought to at least know who's doing the buying. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen with the outside influence of money, not only is it typically negative, but it also makes regular folks in the process think that their vote doesn't right. even matter. And there's one thing that we know for sure. On election day, no matter how wealthy you are, where you come from, who your parents were, we're all equal. So what I've been trying to do as Governor Montana is shine, shine some transparency onto that dark money. Because once you actually say, here's where the money's coming from, the corporations may be a lot less likely to spend right. it in those negative ways. And it returns the power to the people where it actually belongs. The documentary that'll be shown uh, tonight, Dark Money, it's really about both my battle and Montana's battle to combat the influences of the Citizens United decision. So how, how have you combated it in, in Montana? What have you done? You know, we had, uh, first of all, when I was Attorney General, actually organized the states against Citizens United, brought the first case up to the U.S. Supreme Court, unfortunately lost out on a 5-4 decision. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for, for the fight. Yeah, <laughs> it'll forever be called ATP versus yep. Bullock. But then the other thing is we brought Democrats and Republicans together to pass one of the most progressive laws in the country that says if you're going to spend in our elections, I don't care what part of the federal tax code you try to hide behind, what P.O. box you live in, you have to disclose your donors. That's dried up a lot of that outside spending Mm -hmm. through the dark money groups. Also passed an executive, I put an executive order that said, if you want a contract with the state of Montana, we're not going to judge how you're spending the money to influence elections, but at least you have to disclose that as well. Let me let me say this because I was inspired by your story of living four blocks away and delivering newspapers to the mansion that you now occupy, and the fact that you are someone that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, grew up in a household with a single parent, single mom, yeah. uh, worked your way through uh, public school and you know worked through your career. You were elected attorney general, and now your children are coming up in some of the same footsteps. How important is it? For us in the state of Georgia, with the current political climate around the country, with so much hostility, one, what are some lessons we can learn from what's going on in, in Montana, the values, the, the process, the conversations? And number two, how important is an election like the one going on right now in Georgia with Stacey Abrams? How important is this election to the rest of the country? I think uh, a lot of the country's looking at what happens here in Georgia. Certainly that it was a Trump state, but individual Georgians ought to be looking at who's going to be best to guide the state forward. And with 25 days right now until the election, every vote really is going to matter. That's right. And then the other thing is, I mean, my legislature is two-thirds Republican. Yet I figured out a way to bring Democrats and Republicans together to expand health care. You know, if you put that in a bottle and we could package it, that would help out the country a whole lot. But that's what we need to do. we got to realize that the issues that matter to folks are often a lot bigger than the partisan fights of the day and figure out a way to bring folks together to address those. You want to close us out? I wanted to ask one quick thing, and that's how you are the chair of the National Governors Association. And before, before even that, how many Democratic governors are in the U.S. right now? Right now, there are 18 Democratic governors. Okay. There, I think there's going to be quite, you know, it'll change quite yeah. a bit after this midterm election. So, 
In that role, do you see that Democratic governors and Republican governors can function well with one another and, and it, in this kind of craziness in Washington lessens as we get well, to the state level? I think the difference is that governors actually have to get things done. Like we mm-hmm. have to, you know, we represent all our folks and we actually have to implement. I think last year when the Trump administration was trying to repeal back the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. we actually had four Democrat governors and four Republican governors all come together and say, we may not agree on everything. That's right. But actually mm-hmm. protecting health care right. for our citizens and protecting our economy are darn important. So in a time where, look, there is, it's hyperpartisanship all over. <laughs> that I've been pleased that governors, by and large, Uh I don't agree with my colleagues on a lot of things, but we can find those things that make Mm -hmm. a difference to the people in our states and in our country to move things forward. And, you know, one thing I'll say, and and thank you for coming on. It means a lot to us. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned the fact that heads of state are now coming and speaking to the governors because of the current administration. And I don't think our focus needs to be so much on the the administration as much as it is our our, uh, identity and the way people perceive us internationally. We have a lot of work to do in our own backyard and at home. So can you close out by sharing with us how the Governors Association and governors around the United States are working with other countries to make sure that the image of the United States um, remains to be that of a, of a good and respected one. Yeah, I think it has been interesting that probably for the first time in the history of the National Governor Association, we've had heads of state from Canada to Germany now wanting to come, uh, Japan wanting to come, other countries yes, both sir. dealing and a subnational level from provinces. Like we had the Prime Minister of Australia recently yeah. with us. And it really is. America and the American ideal has stood for more than just what is within our country. And we have to continue to have a leadership role in the world, shaping the ideals of what we as a world can be. Yes, sir. And I think that uh, governors are playing a role in having that discussion as well on that we are actually an incredible country with incredible people in it that are not just inward looking, also outward looking to the rest of the world. Governor Steve Bullock, thank you so much. Thanks for it's having an us. honor. Sure. We look forward thank to the support in the movie. Thank you very much.